0: or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za It's good to be with church family this morning. And I want you to turn to the person next to you or behind you and just greet them. Say hello, how are you? go. Wonderful. All right, well now we get to the time of our worship service where we get to hear from God Himself as we open up His inspired Word. So would you turn with me to the book of Galatians? You know, as a church, we are working our way through the book of Galatians, and we're really coming now to the end of chapter 3. And this is such an important section of what Paul's argument has been about being justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the implications this has on our relationships not only with God but with one another. And so let us read from Galatians 3 and I'm going to read from verse 25 until 29 with the emphasis on the last two verses for today. This is God's word. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abram's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This past Wednesday on the radio, it was I heard that it was 28 years ago this week that South Africa got its official new national anthem. Our new national anthem and our new national flag. And as we all know, this new anthem celebrates our country's diversity with so many different languages, right? So many different cultures represented even in that song. And as you look at the words of this new diverse anthem, you see that when we sing these words, we're asking God in these different languages to bless this country and the diversity of its people. To unite us in our efforts to make South Africa a better place. And every time we hear that anthem play, whether it's at a a big international sports event or when someone has just won the gold medal, the country unites and identifies with that success and optimism. People love to unite when things are going well. I mean, the new flag of South Africa does something similar because it's a reminder of the kind of disunity we came from. And now today, there is real equality for all people. No matter what your color, culture, or current situation in life. But we know that this unity and equality quickly disappears when everyone pretends to be religious, but God is not really in the picture. You don't have to look very far to recognize that the political and social and racial tension still exists in our country. It's been 28 years since people started to sing about their new oneness. But there's still a long way to go, right? I think of the recent looting situation we had in KZN last year. It was such a clear example of how divided the country is politically. And how even that caused people in different groups to unite against the evil around them. Muslim and Christian standing together against those who are threatening their safety and their belongings. But if you just look back at some of the other headlines over the last two years, you will read stuff like this. South Africa's foremost human rights advocates say that the persistent racial tensions in the country are fueled by inequality, and that the country is far from the South Africa United in its diversity envisioned by the Constitution. Tension in Cape Town remains high after protests over a private matric function that black students at a high school were allegedly excluded from. Attacks on farms and small holdings and the the police response have continued to be an emotive and racially charged issue that threatens the spiral into further violence as farming communities demand action, while others criticize farmers' actions. The woes continue. Poverty and unemployment are out of control, especially for young people with more than 19 million beneficiaries. The social security grant system is also not suitable from a cost point of view. Gender-based violence costs the country 40 billion per year. The government's failures to violate the rights of people who want to enter our country legally and want to contribute to the economy economy giving rise to xenophobia. I mean, the headlines abound. We live in a time where you have provinces who want to separate themselves from everyone else and become their own independent country. You have pockets of areas where people are setting up communities exclusively for a certain race or ethnic group. Maybe at a less obvious level. You have all these full, full circle lifestyle complexes with private schools and shops and sporting facilities all within one area where you can basically live your life within these high walls and you never have to leave it and interact with other people that are different from you. Cutting yourself off from the world around you. And then you have all these social media posts about people fighting over who arrived first in South Africa. To determine who has a right to what piece of land. Clearly all of this indicating that as a country, 28 years later, we still have a very long way to go. To find the true diverse unity we're supposed to have. But how about the church? How about the church? If that is the reality we live in out there, then what's going on in here? You might think that South Africa as a country would have made more headway over the last 28 years, but what about the church? Because it's been over 2,000 years since Jesus stepped into our world and our reality to break down the walls that divide people and create real unity amongst new members of His forever family. The family of Jesus is supposed to be this new community of people where the doors of the church and the doors of our hearts are open to anyone. No matter what their color, culture, class or gender. And instead of being intimidated by our differences, we celebrate those differences. Because God's people and the community of faith is a place where we find unity and more than just wearing the same t-shirt. Because the gospel of grace really changes all of our relationships. We're studying the book of Galatians and as we know from this letter that Paul has this tension with the Galatians and the the Jewish false teachers who are claiming that you need to become a Jew. You have to become like us. They say you have to be like us to really be a child of God. In response, Paul has been arguing and saying that the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ is the, the big game changer. The big game changer that breaks down that falsehood of exclusivity and inequality. And makes Jews and Gentiles one in Jesus. And here at the end of Galatians chapter 3, Paul has been showing us the fullness of the gospel. And how all of our relationships have changed. We saw in verse 26 that he showed us how close true believers are to the Father. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. And then from last week we saw how close we are to Jesus. Verse 27. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And now in verse 28 and 29 Paul is showing us how close we are to each other. How close we are to each other. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abram's offspring, heirs according to the promise. In other words, the fullness of the gospel shows us not only how united we are to Christ, but how united we are in Christ. Because if you say you believe in Jesus and you make this public declaration that you belong to Jesus, and you're clothed with Jesus, then you are part of a new church family that is to represent the unity that exists within the Trinity. Think about that. Our unity is supposed to represent the unity within the Trinity. God has so fundamentally united Himself to you that it fundamentally changes your connection with every other believer as well. And what today's text makes clear again is that there's nothing, church, there's nothing that hinders anyone from being part of God's family. Because it all comes down to whether you have true saving faith. And having true saving faith means we are much closer to each other than we might even think of having have experienced ourselves. Because what Paul is saying is that when you become part of God's family, you become one in Jesus Christ. The church is to be the picture of what real blood-bought gospel unity looks like. Where the rest of the country and the world is so divided... Just think of Russia and Ukraine. Advocating for more and more division, going to war for that division. The church family is this place that doesn't make sense to the world. It doesn't make sense to the world that people who are so radically different in so many areas can be so united in the love for each other in practical ways. And if we're going to appreciate how close we really are to each other as family in Christ, then we need to understand firstly, what threats seek to divide God's people? Number one, what threats seek to divide God's people? That's verse 28a. We need to know if we're just pretending to be family here, or perhaps live and think in a way that actually puts division amongst ourselves. We need to recognize what worldly divisions are trying to manifest itself within the church family. But then also we need to understand what gospel realities unites God's people. What is it that makes it possible for people who are so different to find real unity in this divided world? What do we share in together and how can we find a connection in what we share and so to see how close we are to each other, we need to understand firstly, what are the threats? What threat seeks to divide God's people? Paul writes, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, there's no male and female. Now we've got to understand Galatians 3.28 is a passage that has been abused by various groups of people who want to push their own agendas for a very long time. People who use this verse as a kind of a proof text who ignore the overall context of Galatians altogether to make the verse say what they want it to say. Because people like to read Galatians 3.28 and they argue, for instance, that since there's no more distinction between male and female in Jesus, it's okay to be homosexual. You can identify with whatever gender you like. Others argue that Paul is talking, taking away the distinction between men and women because they are equal before God, and that means you can also have women in leadership positions in the church. Another problem is these people are ignoring all the other Bible passages that address those very issues. But rather what Paul is doing here. Is He's he's highlighting what common barriers there are that threaten the unity people have in Christ. He lists three common categories that caused disunity back in his day. And sadly, so sadly, these are the very same issues that cause disunity within the church and our society today. First, he mentions Jew and Greek. That's the cultural and race barrier. Then he talks about slave and free. That's the social class barrier. And then he talks about male and female. That's the gender barrier. You see, at the heart of these distinctions or barriers were the idea that some people like Jews, free men and males in general were better or more valuable or more significant than anyone else. In fact, just listen to this. If you if you heard how the Jews prayed back in the day of Paul, you know what you would hear? This is what they would pray. Thank you, God, for not making me a Gentile. Thank you, God, for not making me a slave. Thank you, Almighty God, for not making me a woman. Now think about it. If that's the kind of way guys were praying back in the day, then no wonder Paul highlights these very same categories here in this context about true Christian unity. If you look at the rest of the world and societies, then it's no secret that for a very long time, racism has been an issue. Slavery has been an issue. The way men treat women has been a fundamental issue we know that the race and cultural dynamic, this barrier of race, has been at the forefront of this whole letter of Galatians, right? We know this. Because we know the Gentiles had a very different history than the Jews. And Paul is passionately defending the truth against any requirement of a cultural or ethnic conversion to become a Christian. Because any sense of feeling superior because you belong to a certain culture or race was broken by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2.13, Paul said, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once fall off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Which means it, took the, it actually took the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to put an end to any kind of cultural and racial division within the church. Because all people are to be treated the same in light of God's love for them in Jesus Christ. And not because of their cultural identity or history. In Paul's context, as far as the Jews were concerned, the whole world was simply divided into two groups. See, for the Jew, it was us, and then it was them. You had us, and everyone else was them. The distinction between Jew and Gentile had practical implications because it impacted what worshiping God looked like. It influenced who you could marry, who you could do business with. And as we saw from Paul's rebuking of Peter in Galatians 2, that it also impacted things like who you had meals with and what kind of food you ate. And how nice of the Jews, though, because, hey, they were giving the Gentiles the opportunity to become a Jew. Where the Gentiles would have to cross over to the other side of this dividing wall, but still leaving the very wall of division in its place. That's how the Judaizers wanted it. They wanted things to be separate. And the option was simple. Either give up your Greekness and become culturally Jewish, or continue to be seen as a gentle dog. I mean, the Apostle Peter later had similar problems with, 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 about who should even hear the gospel. Eventually, the church in Jerusalem came around in Acts 11. It says, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Other translations say it better. They say, Even to the Gentiles. As if this is this this distorted mindset that the Jews were the only ones worthy of the gospel. In fact, later we see that there was this kind of reverse racism going on where the Gentiles didn't want the gospel to go to the Jews. And one of the threats to the unity in the body of Christ is when we are subtly trying to make everyone else around us to be more like us instead of becoming more like Jesus. We might be putting up the dividers that Jesus came to destroy without us even knowing it. So what are some of the signs that this is happening? Well, let me ask you. Do you expect other people to do only things the way you like to do them? Do you get upset and offended if they don't? Do you instinctively assume that your culture's way of doing things is obviously the best way? Another question, do you give more time and attention to people from the same culture or race as you, but no effort is ever made in really connecting with anyone else in the church because you think it's just going to be too hard? I mean, people walk into the church for the first time and you get the sense, wow, everyone else is so different from me. And you allow these outward differences to dictate how you interact with other people. Maybe even preventing you from coming back to church. Do you use the language of us and they? Us and they. Made me think of friends who have adopted children from a different race and how hard it's been for, for the people in that church to relate to them because of the new colorful family and also for the kids to feel part of the church body which is predominantly one race, and the brothers and sisters get upset when when others continue to speak about their brothers and sisters and the Lord as them. Them. As if they did not really belong to the family. Whenever there's an opportunity for fellowship, let me ask you, do you only gravitate toward people from the same culture? Or do you proactively seek to get to know all the family you have in Jesus? Even if they have a different language from you. Because the reality is the church is not a place for cliques. The church is not a place for cliques. It's not a breeding ground for people of similar backgrounds to pretend they are family with others when in reality they are family but they act as if they're not. And so another question to ask, maybe do you evaluate your own heart, is are you willing to share what is really going on in your heart with someone who has the same, who has a different culture erased from you? Or do you think I can only talk to people from the, the same background because they're the only ones who would really understand? If your culture or your race becomes your primary identity to function in this world, then you're not only denying what Jesus has done on the cross, you are denying that this person who is so different from you is clothed in the same righteousness of Jesus, and you're missing out on the way God intended this family to function. This is how one man says it. He says, if you only gravitate and spend time with people who are like you, you are missing out on what the body of Christ is supposed to be. We must fight against the attitude of we are just too different. And that it is too hard. It's too hard to love someone who is so different from you. Because imagine, Jesus had that very same attitude towards you. Another barrier that Paul highlights here is that threatens the real unity we have in Jesus. is not only culture and race, but it's the difference in our economic status or our social class. In other words, people who have more struggle to relate with people who have less. And people who have less struggle to relate with people who have more. Now Paul speaks into a context where you have literal slaves who would be regarded as being at the bottom of the social chain versus those who are free and actually can afford to have servants. Slavery was very common in the ancient world among the Jews and Gentiles. There were in fact various ways of becoming a slave. You could be purchased by someone else. You could put yourself under someone else voluntarily because you owed them a debt. And you would pay them back by becoming their servant until the debt was paid in full. You could also become a slave because of being captured in war or even a slave from birth. And even as you read the Bible, you get the sense that it was very rare that a slave was treated with much kindness. I mean, the Old Testament law even developed rules for how to be kind to slaves. You can read that in Leviticus 25, 39 onwards. And if you look at some of the other passages of what Paul talks about regarding a bond servant, a slave, like in 1 Corinthians 7, 21, the point is clear that whether you are free or not, by faith in Jesus, you have the Spirit of God and you are in the body of Christ. In fact, to Philemon, Paul wrote and said, The slave Onesimus has become your what? Your brother. Philemon 15 and 16. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, a beloved servant brother so think of the the social implications for this in christ paul says both slave and the free man are related to each other in him even if you're regarded as a nobody in society you are just as much valued by god and part of his family as someone that might be seen as the surely the most important guy like the president But perhaps the divisions are put back in the up in the church again when people think that just because one member of the church does some work for another member in the church, they're not on the same level. Whether people relate to each other and the way they do that is like an employer-employee kind of relationship rather than relating to each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord. You might have someone that helps you with cleaning your house or helping you in the garden. But you don't want to be in the same church as them because it would be too hard for you to worship God together. Because thinking the relationship will get weird because of here we are supposed to have this oneness. But on Monday people treat each other with this attitude of superiority because I'm your boss. Or inferiority because you are my boss. Other signs of our social status might be causing division in the church is when we avoid spending time with others because we feel guilty about what we do have and what they don't. Or when people assume that the, the one who has materially more would not want to spend time with the one who has materially less because they think it would not be comfortable for them to spend time with me in my home because it's not as nice as theirs. Assuming they must be too busy, because look at all they have on their plate and what they must do. I don't think they will have time for me. These are all ways of putting back up the social divisions that Jesus came to destroy. Or perhaps people just treat someone else differently because of the way they look. Think of James 2, right? This is James 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ for the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and a fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man's shabby clothing comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say, sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there. Or sit down on my feet. Have you not then made distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Church, even Christians, can fall into the trap of thinking that just because someone is wearing a nice suit, they should be treated differently from someone who does not. Where we give them more respect and more attention because we subtly avoid those who are not in the same position. All of this is putting up back walls that Jesus came to destroy. But Paul includes a third category here. He says there's no longer male or female. And this might have been the most intense barrier of Paul's day. Because women were seen as being totally inferior to men. Later in history, Josephus, he was this famous historian who later writes, The woman says the law is in all things inferior to man. They were talked about in a rude and condescending way. They were not to be taught the law by the rabbis. They were only allowed to look after the children. They were not seen as reliable witnesses in court. And perhaps they even had different seats from the men when it comes to the worship service in the synagogues. And unfortunately, in many cultures today, not much has changed. Not much has changed. When you look at the other passages of the New Testament, Paul mentions the same kind of barriers, these categories. He says the same things in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and in Colossians 3, 11. He mentions the first two barriers of race and social class, but not the issue of gender. And part of the reason might be that The case in this very context with with the issue with the Galatians is that you need to be circumcised to be part of the family, right? According to the Jews. And this is something that women obviously cannot do. This was a male ritual. And so Paul comes in and he destroys the thinking that women are not on the same level as men before God. In fact, in so many other religions still today, like Islam... Women are seen as being this, this possession, just this object to serve the men in certain ways. So many universities and other liberal institutions around the world say that Christianity is devaluing women because there's so much emphasis in the Bible on the headship of man, giving rise to these feminist movements and, and these radical ways. But then you just got to read your Bible. Because then you open up your Bibles and you read how Jesus comes and He ministers directly to Mary and Martha. Here's the rabbi. The rabbi of rabbis coming, teaching women directly the law. Instead of having women sit over there, He has them sit at His feet to listen to His word. Jesus is elevating the very status of women in this male-dominant Jewish culture, indicating that no one is spiritually superior to anyone else. Now again, where this verse goes south is when people try and interpret Paul to say that what this means is that women can also be in leadership roles in the church. Yes, and now I have an equal role in the home as well. And and this is what they need to realize, that these gender-based roles given to us in the Bible are not rooted in the fall. They're not rooted in the curse or even in our culture. The distinctive roles God has given for men and women are rooted in creation. Genesis 1.26 In other words, gender-based roles existed before sin. Yes, the world has gone and abused these roles, but God has always given men and women different roles in the church and in the home, but they still have the exact same value before God. Both were made in the very image of God. In other words, we must understand that the gender roles are a matter of function, in the home and in the church and not a matter of value or worth on the side of God because even as the Father the Son and the Spirit are one they each have distinctive roles and our unity in the church is to represent that, that true unity that exists within the Trinity as we exercise our God-given roles in the church and in the family and so we might be putting up Gender divisions in the church. When men think they are simply more important than women. When women want to be doing the role of man. When men think women can't be as gifted by God as they are. Or when women think they are more gifted than men. And honestly, this might very well be true. But they don't trust God's design for how to use those gifts. And so they struggle to submit to leadership God has given them in the context of their home and and this new family they have in Christ. And so what's Paul's point? His point is that white people are not more superior than black people. Black people are not more superior than Indian or colored people. The Afrikaans is not way more important than any other culture. The Congolese is not the only way of doing things. The American way is not the only way of doing things your position in society does not affect your relationship with others in the church and your gender does not affect your relationship with god and with others in the church but let me just say what paul is not saying paul is not saying that when you become a christian and you are baptized that you become colorblind that we leave our obvious differences at the door and walk into the church. He's not saying that I stop being a white Afrikaans male who grew up in Durban with a Dutch and German heritage. He's saying those distinctions don't determine if I can be part of God's family. And who I can be related with in God's family. The church is not a raceless, classless community. When we come to Christ, you don't stop being Africans, bosses or employees, male or female. What we are, we have always been, but now we just are those things in Christ. Together, family, united in Christ. Paul didn't stop being a Jew. Instead he found his primary identity in Jesus. And not in his Jewish heritage, Jewish heritage. And so God has made us different, but he's also made us one. He's made us different, but he has made us one. Because not only do we have to be careful of the threats that can cause division in the church family, if we're going to appreciate how close we really are to each other as family in Christ, we need to celebrate and understand what gospel realities are. Unites God's people. What is it actually that unites us like this? Paul writes, For you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Instead of putting up walls that divide us, we need to focus on what unites us. And one of the advantages of being in a diverse family like Living Hope is that we can embrace and celebrate the differences we do have. I can learn and have learned so many things from my African brothers and sisters and together we can learn from each other. Grow together because of being in this wonderful context that God has given us. Being in a position, this is important. Being in a position to think biblically before we think culture, class, or gender. To think biblically because before we think of culture, class, or gender. Because instead of focusing on what the world says should divide us, we can focus on what God says unites us. You see, our differences in answer unity we have because we recognize that it can only be God and the grace of God that makes us real family if we are so different, right? It must be that God is at work here. And so Paul says there are no longer all these distinctions because what is our new reality? Your new reality is that you are so close to Jesus that you are also connected to each other in Jesus. Paul says, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And the literal translation reads, you are all one person in Christ. One person in Christ. Which means our relationship with each other is based entirely upon our relationship to Him. Now think of what this means in terms of salvation. There's no difference between us because you and I are both equally broken by sin. You and I are equally condemned by the law. You and I are equally embarrassed about our sin. You and I are equally in need to cover our shame by the grace of God. And you and I are equally in need of that grace every single day. And you and I have become equally unable to save ourselves. Which means we need the same cross, we need the same blood. We need the same blood that cleanses us from our sin, and we need the same bodily resurrection. In other words, we all need the same Jesus. And once you put your faith in Him for salvation, you have that same Jesus, because we become one person in Him. Yesterday, I took my son for his first game to Loftus Fashion. his first rugby match, and. Yeah, I said last week I wouldn't ever wear the Blue Bulls jersey. I guess that didn't last very long. I had to wear it yesterday. But everyone who was at that stadium cheered as one. Motivated the team on the field as one. Jumped out of their seats when points were scored as one. Shouting at the referee when he makes bad calls as one. Even though we were all so different, for those 90 minutes... We were one. Our unity in Jesus is not just for 90 minutes, church. Think of the language of the Bible. The Bible says, together we have all become slaves. First Peter 2.16 says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as living as servants, that is, slaves of God. We don't become each other's slaves. Rather, we are slaves to Christ together. And one reason we sometimes fail to treat each other the way we should is because we don't fully understand how close we are to Jesus. And because of how close we are to Him, how fundamentally connected we are to each other. When you just think of Jesus... Jesus is speaking with this woman at the well in John chapter 4, right? We know the story. She was a poor Samaritan woman. Which means Jesus would have been separated from her ethnically. He would have been separated from her socially. And he was separated from her sexually. But that did not stop him from loving her and giving his life for her that she could be forgiven from her sins. It's only when we embrace who and what we are in Jesus that we can start to see other people the way Jesus sees them and treat them the way He treats them. But look at what Paul adds here in verse 29. Not only do we share in our need for grace and salvation, we also find unity in what we share in history. And if you are Christ, then you are Abram's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is kind of big. Because what Paul has been saying is that this new family that God has united together is not just for today or for tomorrow. It's going to be forever. Paul is describing how we find unity in our relationship to history. Because we are sons of God by faith. We are brothers and sisters of all God's children, right? But in terms of history, if... Let me just emphasize again. That's a very, very important if. Only if you have truly put your faith in Jesus. Only if you've really humbled yourself and seen yourself as not being superior, racially, socially, or gender based. That you belong to Jesus, belong to the one family God began so long ago, and will continue to be part for into all of eternity. Because here's Paul's logic, concluding again in chapter 3, that if you belong to Christ, you belong to Abram's family. And you remember back in Galatians 3.16, we said that God made the promise to both Abram and his offspring, which was referring to Jesus being that offspring. And if you're not in that offspring, in Jesus, then you belong, if you are in that offspring in Jesus, then you belong to Abram and what? And you are heirs according to the promise. In other words, in this whole Jewish Gentile context again, it would only be the son who would receive the inheritance, right? But now by faith in Jesus together, we are all sons of God, male and female. We all share in the inheritance of forgiveness of sin, heaven, eternal life, and being able to love my neighbor as myself. And so the only way anyone can legitimately be called the offspring of Abraham is if you belong to Jesus. Not by becoming a Jew, not keeping the law, not thinking you're more superior than anyone else. But through faith in God's promise. And these things have implications. I like how one commentator, John Stott, says it. He says... We find unity in the fact that we no longer feel ourselves to be waifs and strays without any significance in history or bits of useless wood drifting in the tide of time. We are the spiritual seed of our father Abraham who lived and died over 4,000 years ago for in Christ we have become heirs of the promise which God made to him. And so this truth of our connectedness in Christ and our relation to each other and relation to all the Christians who have gone before us helps us to recognize what? We are not alone. We are not alone. The Christian faith is not a faith that is meant to be lived out alone. Whether we are in this church family or meeting with other Christians from all over the world, we have family and we are called to be a tight family yes because we are already tight with Jesus this truth helps us to recognize that we can fight against the feelings of I don't fit in who's ever had those thoughts I don't fit in because in Christ I found my home with my brothers and sisters who share so many similarities with me, even though we are so different. Because if you have been a Christian for one minute, you are just as equal and a co-heir as the one who has been a Christian for a hundred years. Therefore, in God's family, there is no oldest child pride. Think about it. Rather, there's this discipleship and guidance where all the person's life experience becomes a blessing to other people. There's no middle child jealousy. We complain about what others have and you don't because you know you are a co-equal heir in Christ. So rather, there's this culture of serving one another, getting to know one another, spending time with one another. In God's family, there's no youngest child who always gets what they want rather there's an attitude of humility and learning from others and all this is done in a context where god has united people together in him so tightly from different backgrounds different races different social classes and different genders to equally love and treat each other in a way that shows we love jesus I mean, Paul said to the Ephesians, Ephesians 4, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then listen to all the things he reminds them that they have in common. Verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Resulting in one person, right? One family. And so when we make God the primary connection between us, then we can have all the confidence that we can live in real unity, no matter how diverse we are. As a church. But what does that look like? Let me just mention, closing here today, just mentioning a few. Look at how you talk. Look at how you speak. Instead of talking about those people or them, we talk about us. It's about us. We avoid thinking more of ourselves as being superior in any way when we look at the cross and respond to that love by genuinely loving other people. Just like Jesus said, John 13:34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that love can be seen in the way we speak about each other. And how we generally pray for one another. Because it's in those moments of prayer when we talk with God, about the, with the one who makes us one. Talking about eternal things and earthly things. Committing our brothers and sisters to the Lord. It strengthens that unity, doesn't it? see, in Galatians 3.28, again, like last week, we said, God does not call us to be unified. He says we are unified because of Jesus. That is our reality. Secondly, look at who you talk to. Look at who you talk to. Instead of always talking and inviting the same people to hang out with, because it's easy for you to get along with them, include people who you do not know that well. Shocker, right? If we really believe that the unity we have is rooted in Jesus and is more important than our culture or our language and the way we do things, then we will step out in faith to connect with those in the household of faith. Imagine the joy that's waiting for us as we get to know someone and the way God has worked in his life. How God is growing them and sanctifying them. Being with them, hurting with them in the hard times. Rejoicing with them in the good times. To hear how God has worked through different people. We have such a different background than you. Thirdly, look at what you assume. Look at what you assume. Too often we make assumptions without really gathering information about what is real. Proverbs warns us it's, Proverbs 18:2 says, "A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. If we're really going to celebrate our diversity and be one person in Jesus in this church, we must stop assuming and start believing. because love believes best. And therefore, acts based on that love. We stop assuming because people didn't spend time with us that they don't like us. Just because I didn't get invited to that meal doesn't mean they don't want, they don't care about me. Rather, we reach out to others. We take the initiative. We go to them. We go like Jesus did to those of society didn't want to go to. Fourthly. Look at what offends you. Is a lot of the tension and frustration you might have with other sinners in the church, because we all recognize that and we're still sinners, right? Is all the tension and frustration because of your own personal cultural preferences? Or are there actual biblical issues that need to be addressed? Our oneness in Jesus is magnified when we can deal with conflict in a way that makes the the one who unites us looks beautiful and more important than our own feelings and preferences. In other words, if I'm first a Christian, this is a church, I am first a Christian before I'm anything else. And that changes the way I deal with. With any issue in the church. Fifthly, finally, look at what you can learn from others. If you always think you know the best or that you can't learn from anyone else, then you're proud, for one, and you're missing out on the unity that we can have in this church. We're all in similar and different stages of life, right? If you're struggling to disciple your kids, spend time with someone that does a good job in discipling their kids. Not because they necessarily have the same culture as you, but because they're godly first. And they seek to honor God in their parenting. And they might be someone that has a totally different culture from you. God has gifted the church in a variety of ways And that is to your benefit. That is for your benefit. And we all benefit from the diversity of gifting in the church because we're all one person in Jesus. And so every time someone else becomes a new member of God's church, like these ladies we we saw today, we praise God. We praise God because He's growing His historical family. Because we're saying there's no barriers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through the promises he made, we can live in real unity today. In one sense, we we don't pray, God, please bless our country, like we do in that anthem. We say, God, thank you for blessing us already. In Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the gospel. The gospel that breaks down every barrier this world throws at us. The gospel that fundamentally unites people from such different backgrounds and and, and the be the kind of family where we relate to each other based on the truth we have in Jesus Christ. The gospel that motivates us to go, get out of our comfort zones, like Jesus left heaven, the Trinity, the perfect Trinity, to come, become one like us, to minister to us, to die for us, to rise for us. All of that so that we can become one in Christ. Father, help us see that we are fundamentally, first and foremost, one In Jesus that we embrace the differences we have in this church family do you embrace all these different languages and cultures and ways of doing things but we submit them to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ first and our love and compassion and understanding towards one another flows from that truth thank you that we can be in a position where we experience the real love that you have designed according to your word Where you can see how you are at work in this church by putting people that are so different together. So we stop talking about them or they. And we say, this is us. This is my family. This is my forever family. And so Father, may that truth guide us even this week as we live for your blood. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.